And so if you would, turn with me to Mark, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. Give you a chance to get there, and while you're turning there, I want to kind of frame it with this question that I asked my daughter a while back. We're On a road trip, and my daughter, Abby, she's about nine years old. She loves asking these deep questions, and so I asked her one. We're we're in the car, and I said, Abby, if you could ask Jesus one question, what would it be? She said, can I have three questions? And I said, no, one question. You, You got one second and one question. What's the one question you would ask Jesus? And she kind of peers into the sky and like kind of puts her hand on her her mouth like this. And then she says, I would ask him what Jesus' favorite dog is. And I'm all, all right, this is awesome. And part of me was like, that's, that's what you would ask? I'm like, I would ask like what the secrets of the cosmos are. And you know, like all of this big, deep theological stuff. And you know, she turned the question on me and she was like, what would you ask him if you had one question? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know, actually. That's <laughs> a really deep question. Uh, but she didn't, she didn't skip a beat. She was like, I would ask him his favorite dog. Uh, I, I bring that up because um, even though that was a hypothetical question, we actually get in this historical account a young man who gets the opportunity of a lifetime to ask Jesus a question. And he asks a question around the one thing that matters in life. Um, and if you would, let's just read. We, we won't read the whole section. Let's just read verse 17 through verse 22. It says, And as he, speaking of Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, here's the question, What must I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. You know the answer, he's saying. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, the the young man said back to Jesus, teacher, all of these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Just in time for Christmas. You know, when I think of this young, rich man, it doesn't say that he's rich until the end. Verse 22, he had great possessions, often called the rich young man or the rich young ruler. Uh, I, I can't help but think of like the, you know, the 27, 30-year-old tech guy from L.A. that moves into Santa Barbara and, you know, buys a house with cash. Like, this is that guy. This is that guy. He's got everything he's ever needed. And now he has even more than what he's needed. He's got Jesus, and he's got an opportunity to ask him one question, and he nails it, you guys. Like, this is, no one has asked Jesus a question of this caliber yet. 
People have asked him questions. Can you cast out this demon? Can you feed me? Can you heal me? Can you fix me? The disciples ask him questions too, like which one of us will be the most powerful? Which one of us is the greatest, you know? And they, like, we, they ask him questions that are like silly. And yet he answers them with kindness. And yet this guy, the guy that I probably would have looked on with skepticism, like, he asks him the best question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He, he asks him the question Jesus has been preparing to answer for 30 years. And considering, a little stunned by the simplicity of Jesus' answer, he basically says, you know the answer. You've been doing it your whole life. Obey the law. Do good to others. Love people. You might notice or you might, uh, you might recognize some of those lines. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Uh, do not bear false witness. So on and so forth. Those are taken from the last half of the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? Interesting that Jesus uses the relational parts of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't necessarily say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. He uses the ones that are specifically geared towards people. I also think it's fascinating that he, he actually inserts a command in there that's not in the Ten Commandments. He says, do not defraud. I wonder if that's just Jesus customizing his answer for this rich young guy. In an era and in generations where it's common for wealth to be generated through the exploitation of the poor, Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments, but he slips one in just for this guy. Do not defraud your neighbor. And listen to, listen to this young guy's answer in verse 20. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. I've done it. And you might look upon that with skepticism, like, yeah, right. <laughs> or maybe with hypocrisy, like, sure you did. But look at Jesus' response. It says that looking, looking at him, he loved him and said to him, and he would go on to give his response, a couple things there. When, when Mark says that he looked at him, that word there has this ongoing intensity to the word. It means that Jesus literally gazed at him. Like he, he stopped in the moment and just stared. It means that he looked intently. And then right after that, it says that he loved him. This is the only time in the Gospels where it's said of Jesus that he loved somebody. The only time. I'm sure that he loved many other people. This is the only time that Mark points this out. He stopped in his tracks. He gazes at this young guy and he loved him. Such is the heart, I think, of Jesus to the one who is genuinely searching for Jesus. Are you? Jesus loves you. That's the type of search that would cause the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one of whom Isaiah said the governments would sit upon his shoulders to stop in his tracks and look at you 
and love you. For Jesus Christ earnestly desires to be found by you. This also, this text also shows us that love, because we're told explicitly that Jesus loves him, we're also told in the next line that Jesus challenges his life. What we see here is that love sometimes also means challenge. Not always hugs. Sometimes love entails that we challenge one another. We comfort and support one another. We also bring challenge. And this is a very difficult idea and concept today. Said this for many years from behind this pulpit when we went through the Emotionally Healthy series. You can love your family of origin and still challenge the skeletons that you hold in the closet. You can still love your country and still challenge its idols. You can still love and be a part of your political party and still challenge its blind spots. You can still love yourself and still want to change things about yourself. The two are not mutually exclusive. They're actually a part one of the other. If you love, you will embrace good change. Jesus loves this young man so much that he issues him a challenge. And here's that challenge. It says in Jesus, verse 21, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. There's one more thing. He'll go on to list some things that seem to be getting in the way of this young man. You can read it with me. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. But I want you to notice that the one thing that he lacks really comes at the end of the sentence. What is it? Follow me. Same thing Jesus has been telling people since the beginning of this book. Now, he's kind of customized it to this particular person and saying the one thing that is keeping you from following me with a fully devoted heart happens to be your wealth. So get rid of it. If your wealth causes you to not follow me, get rid of it. If your hand causes you to sin, get rid of it. If your eye causes you to sin, get rid of it. Of course, he's using hyperbole, don't actually do that. But that's Jesus' heart. He's like, if anything is keeping you from following me into eternal life, it's just not gonna be good enough. I know that. You might not be able to see that at this point in your life, but I'm giving you, I'm giving you a freebie here. Get rid of it, discard it. I've got better things for you in this life. Don't be satisfied with the small things when the weight of glory waits before you and me. The one thing that matters is following Jesus. And sometimes following Jesus entails removing some obstacles. But the one thing that matters for eternal life, 
from the words of Jesus himself to a guy who got the opportunity to ask him one question, follow me. You want eternal life? Follow me. And that might be a little bit different than the narrative that some of us heard growing up. If you grew up in church, how many of us maybe grew up thinking, man, to be saved, you just gotta pray a prayer. And some of you prayed that prayer in 1987, and you haven't thought about Jesus ever since. <laughs> but you're like, I did the thing, check. And you like that young, that young man are saying to Jesus, like, I did all the things. How many of us, uh, how many of us grew up thinking uh, to, to be saved, we need to do an altar call. We need to go to the front of the, the stage and bow and receive Jesus in a, a certain mystical way. Maybe for some of you it was to fill out a card at church or to ask for forgiveness or to go to church more or to be a good person or to stop sinning or to love your neighbor, etc., etc. But if we had the opportunity to ask Jesus that question, like this guy did, he would say, follow me. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, but the Bible says that if we just believe in Jesus, and that's true, but belief in the ancient understanding that the disciples would have had was more than that kind of intellectual assent that we have in modern America today. It's more than just getting an answer right on a test. Belief entailed trust and trust entailed following. Same answer. Jesus says to this young guy and he says to all of us, you want, you want the eternal kind of life? A better life than you could ever imagine, not only here in this one, but in the one to come? Follow me. Just go where I go and do what I do and listen to what I say and I'll take it from there. Now, all of those things that I said in that list are good things, right? Maybe to follow Jesus, you did pray a prayer. Maybe part of your journey of following Jesus entailed doing an altar call or getting baptized or filling out a card. Maybe part of that was being forgiven of your sins or starting a rhythm of going to church. Or maybe, you, you know, part of following Jesus entails putting off our sin and loving our neighbor. But do you see that all of those flow first out of this bigger one thing that Jesus says is following me? also notice that sometimes our versions of eternal life tend to be locked in a single event in the past. I did that when I was a kid or last year for Easter, almost leading us to believe like this rich young ruler, if I do a list of things right, I'll get in. When Jesus here is, seems to be showing us eternal life is a way of life. He's not inviting you to do one thing in your past. He's inviting you into a journey with him forever. This isn't like a, a pass-fail test to be discarded once you graduate. He's inviting you into a life with him. Notice that the list of commands um, that Jesus gave him speak of actions, not necessarily behaviors of the heart. You could not murder somebody for the rest of your life and still be a jerk inside, right? <laughs> like, it's not, it's not actually that impressive if you never steal, never cheat, and never murder. It's like a 
It's a, it's a bare minimum guide rails to keep evil from, uh, to, to restrain evil. But you could, you could keep everything that Jesus just said in that list of commands and your heart uh, could be unfazed. Paul actually said this of himself in Philippians chapter three, verse four through six. He actually said, for those of you that might be skeptical that somebody could keep all of the commands, Paul said, I did it. I wanna read this to you from Philippians three in the NLT version. He said, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight years old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul's saying I did the law better than anybody. Now, he'll go on to say a few things about that later, which we'll end with. But I want you to see right now that discipleship for Jesus, what he's saying to this rich young man is, good job for doing the law. If you want eternal life, if you want the eternal kind of life, if you want to go deeper, discipleship to me goes beyond mere acts of the law. As one scholar put it, the ultimate test of obedience is the willingness to assume the yoke of discipleship to Jesus, to say, I wanna be like you. I don't wanna get away with the bare minimum. I want to be like you. I wanna go beyond the things that I'm not supposed to do. I wanna learn what I am supposed to do, what I've been made to do, what I've been designed with the capacity to do. And what I would do if I had the opportunity in the car to ask Jesus a question. This was what the disciples deeply understood that American Christians would be transformed to understand. To follow a rabbi, you had to leave things. You had to leave your parents. You had to leave your job. You had to leave your allegiances. It cost you. But that cost was worth it because you were following the rabbi of your dreams Kids would wait their whole lives if they were lucky enough to pass every letter grade to follow the rabbi that they thought most emulated God. It was a privilege of a lifetime. And Jesus would come across, he'd change the game, he'd come across disciples who never passed the letter grade and he'd say, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Is it any wonder that they dropped their nets and left everything in the moment and followed him? This was the chance of a lifetime. And they did. And you see people leaving stuff all throughout Mark. Chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, fishermen had to leave their nets to follow him. Chapter 2, verse 14, tax collector had to leave his corrupt practice to follow him. Chapter 8, verse 33, Peter had to leave his false conception of, of the Messiah to follow him. Later in chapter 15, a, a disciple will have to leave a bystander's security and literally take up Jesus' cross for him. This isn't an additional obligation that we just attach to everything else we're doing. Rather, it replaces and redirects and refocuses and recalibrates all our other obligations to the main one that says, follow me. The point of this section of scripture is that eternal life 
is really simple, even if it is challenging. It comes from denying yourself in order to follow Jesus. The one thing you need most today is to follow Jesus. It's the one thing. There's no other better thing. Every other good thing flows from that one thing and actually redirects all the other good things and the bad alike. It's the compass. And the rich man is shocked by this. Verse 22, for he had great possessions. You ever notice that it's rarely the bad things in life that derail our faith? <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of Christians that just roll out of bed one morning and they're like, on Monday, they're like, you know, I was thinking about Satan today and actually he's pretty cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that for a while. <laughs> it's usually the good things. It's the good things, the blessings from God in our life that we elevate into ultimate things that kind of edge him out of the picture. It's that great relationship that's filling up your time. It's that extra free time from all of that remote work. It's that new salary bump that you got from changing jobs. It's the ease of life in Santa Barbara. You fill in the blanks. Those things aren't bad, they're good. You probably have your own list of things. But it's the good things that easily distract from the ordinary way of following Jesus day to day. You can just begin to fill in the cracks and take over. And see, wealth is not a bad thing. Proverbs says that God gives us the ability to create wealth. Jesus doesn't condemn the unnamed woman in chapter 14 who had means nor does the Gospel of Mark condemn Joseph of Arimathea in chapter 15. But for this man, wealth seems to be an actual danger. It's the one thing he needs to get rid of. For reasons we do not know, it's keeping him from a full life in Christ. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, there's one thing. There's one thing that if you just got rid of it, would allow you to take the journey of a lifetime with me. And he was disheartened, for he had great possessions. My question for you today is, what good thing is keeping you from the one thing? What good thing in your life is currently distracting you from the one thing, following Jesus? And you know, that one thing of following Jesus is, it's challenging. And we see how challenging it can be in the response of the disciples in verse 23 through 26. It says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Not impossible, but difficult. And the disciples were amazed at his words. You know why they were amazed? It was their understanding, it was a common Hebrew understanding that those with wealth were the ones that God had shown his favor on. Read the book of Job, read Abraham. Prosperity seemed to follow those who were obedient to God. And so those who had an easy life, those who had success, those who had belongings and possessions and wealth 
were, uh, in the eyes of society, those were the ones who were doing a great job with God. They loved God with all of their heart. They loved the Lord with all of their understanding. And so the disciples are amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I want to pause right here. There was a book by a scholar um, called The Humor of Christ. (laughs) And the whole intent of this academic tome was to show people that Jesus wasn't always that somber, serious person that we imagine him to be. If you've seen some of those old flicks of Jesus, and he's always, just always seems to be walking around like he's depressed, you know? He's just got a glaze in his eye, and he's talking seriously. And the scholar's like, dude, he cracked jokes. Dude was funny. He was a little bit of a comic, and sometimes was a little sarcastic, you know? And this is one of those examples. He says, it's difficult for those who have a lot to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are shocked because of their upbringing. They're like, we thought wealth was a picture of spiritual success. And Jesus is like, listen, son, it's more easy for me to stuff this camel into the eye of that needle than for somebody with a lot of stuff to get into the kingdom of God. It's often been the ministry of stand-up comics to talk about difficult social things, controversial things that none of us can talk, but using humor (laughs) to open our eyes a little bit. Jesus does that here. Jesus the teacher, Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the son of God, Jesus the comic. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Who can be saved? Again, Jesus says it's difficult, not impossible. What he's saying is when you have a lot going for you, when life is easy, it gets harder and harder to follow Jesus because you have to give things up to follow him. You have to give up your ambitions. You have to give up your desires. You have to give up your idols. And the more you get accustomed to getting what you want, the harder it is to deny yourself in order to follow Jesus. And he uses this camel analogy. This isn't like an enigma, like, I wonder if there's a way to get a camel through the eye of, you know. He's straight up saying, you can't squeeze into the kingdom by human effort. You can't. You can't force yourself into the kingdom. You can't stretch your IQ enough. You can't obey God enough. You can't be successful enough. You can't get enough money. It is impossible to get into the kingdom by human effort. And the more earthly success you experience through human effort, the more you will struggle with self-denial, which is a picture of following Jesus. And it's at that that the disciples are like, who can possibly get in? And at this moment, Jesus drops that gospel bomb of good news, not just for Peter, not just for John, but for you and me. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. (laughs) I wonder when I see that, it almost seems like Peter's pleading, like he's just been 
He's just been hammered by Jesus' difficult statements, rebuked left and right, disappointed, disillusioned. And now he gets this bomb, like, yeah, wealth doesn't actually tell you if you're close to God or not. And Peter, Peter just does that thing where he just like blurts out something. He's like, we've left everything. <laughs> Did we do good? And Jesus responds so kindly. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundred times that in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, little footnote there, and in the age to come, eternal life. It sounds like Jesus is saying, yeah, I don't want to paint a, a, a Disney picture for you. There will be challenges to following me because I am not the picture of a leader that the world expects. See, there might be some struggle. There might be some persecution. There might be some challenges. But the overarching reality that you'll come to understand is that it'll be worth it. That no matter what you lose in this life, because you followed me, you will gain a hundredfold. You may lose friends because of me, but you will gain a hundred times that in this life and in the next. This is what he's saying, not me. Attach that to whatever you're thinking about right now. You may experience persecution because of me, but you will gain a hundred times that in this life or in the next. You may create a little family drama at Thanksgiving because of your relationship to me, but you will gain a hundred times family depth in this life and in the next. You may make your political friends mad at you because of me, but you'll get an everlasting kingdom in this life and in the next. It may not be convenient for you all the time because of me, but you will experience wonder of glory in this life and in the next. It may not always be an easy path because of me, but you will experience depth in this life and in the next. I may make your life a little noisy if you follow me, but you will experience true peace in this life and in the next. You may lose a little money on my account, but you will be truly rich in this life and in the next. You may lose a little sleep on my account, but you will sleep more deeply than you could imagine in this life and in the next. If I can summarize everything that we got through, that was a lot of text, it's this. Eternal life comes from denying yourself to follow Jesus. Two, people who have plenty sometimes struggle with self-denial, with the very thing needed to follow Jesus. But three, those who do follow Jesus will get more than they ever imagined in this life and in the next. I ask uh, Andrea and Mackenzie to lead us in song. And as they get ready, I want to end with the second half of what Paul said about his good efforts. After he just got done in Philippians saying, if anyone could put confidence in the flesh, it's me. I did everything right. He then goes on to say this. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all even as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends upon faith. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to share in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Nuh-uh. Oh, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And with that, I leave you with that same question. What thing in your life is keeping you from the one thing? Are you ready to discard it in order to possess the glory of knowing Jesus Christ? Are you ready to put it aside for the glory that awaits you in Jesus Christ? The line is drawn, the invitation is given, and Jesus waits for nothing else except for you, standing, I'm convinced, looking at you just like he looked at that guy with intent and with love in his eyes, knowing that if you just did this, if you just took that step, you would experience joy like you've never experienced in your life. You'd experience peace like you've never experienced in your life. You'd experience God like you've never experienced in your life. And day in and day out, week after week, year after year, century after century, the Messiah from whom all blessings flow makes the same invitation he's been making since the beginning. Come, follow me. The rest is up to you. Let's respond today um, by song, through prayer. We have prayer teams in the back. They have the lanyards on outside as well. We have communion to the right and to the left, also outside. If you want to viscerally taste what Christ has done for you through his body and through his blood, on this first day of Advent, as Jesus arrives upon the scene of humanity, let us welcome his arrival. In Jesus' name.